0: Hey guys, the LSAT Demon team is growing and we have need for some help. Uh, Specifically, we're looking for people who have expertise in YouTube and Instagram, cutting videos, titling them, keywords, uploading the content, all that type of stuff. If you think you can help us, please email help at thinkinglsat.com. Uh, if you have an LSAT score, we would love to see that, but uh, not necessary. We also would love to see your portfolio of work. So if you could send us some links when you do, that would be much appreciated. Thanks. Hello and welcome to episode 273 of the Thinking LSAT podcast. In State Line, Nevada, I'm Nathan Fox. With me in Vienna, Virginia is Ben Olson. Ben, how you been? Good. Busy. Yeah, man. Same thing here. Um, you've just been working on the impending launch of Demon 2.0?
1: <laughs> yes.
0: <laughs> We've been teasing that enough. So uh, fingers crossed it's happening sometime soon. Um, today on the show, we have a whole bunch of listener emails. We have um, a note from someone who is an undergraduate at University of Hawaii, Manoa, and uh, apparently their pre-law program is actually legit. We were just shitting on pre-law associations recently, Ben. And uh, they have a very helpful uh, spreadsheet that it's not just for University of Hawaii students. It's for everybody. So we'll get to that. Okay. We have a like a first-generation uh, law student asking for a breakdown of the admissions process and or law school timeline. We can uh, give our updated thoughts about when you should be applying and when you should start studying and all that kind of stuff. Okay. More admissions questions. Somebody wants to know about why X law school essays, if you should ever send those in unsolicited, which I think I probably think no to that. Somebody else had a note about scholarships we can cover. <laughs> Uh, we have Kay. someone who um, sh- was shitting on the U- the uh, scholarship estimator on Kay. YouTube, and we can uh, we'll read a uh, nasty comment and uh, respond to that. Our new feature, "Hills to Die On," where we talk about um, unpopular positions, either in LSAT world or in the broader world have a couple uh, items that we can talk about there. We have a note from a demon subscriber praising the demon, and then we're going to do Prep Test 65, Section 4, Question 12, uh, one of the logical reasoning questions that we're allowed to actually talk about in public. This episode will air on Monday, November 23rd. January LSAT flex registration deadline is coming up. It's uh, December 2nd, Wednesday, December 2nd. If you want to take the uh, January flex, the deadline for the February flex is on the 6th of January. Okay. So anyway, yeah, December 2nd is the one we need to worry about now for the January LSAT flex. You can email the show help at thinkinglsat.com if you want to say something nice about us or say something mean about us or ask us a question. We're on uh, iTunes and everywhere that you can find your podcasts. Uh, If you leave us a review on iTunes, it really helps people hear about the show. So that's one of the best things you can do if you enjoy it. We're uh, coming up on episode 300, and we're looking for highlights from the last 100 episodes. So if you're a super fan and you want to uh, give us an episode and a timestamp, And uh, a funny moment or a useful moment or something that you think we should use in that highlight episode, um, please, again, email help at thinkinglsat.com. Make make it a lot easier for us to put together that best of episode for number 300. Yeah. Just another reminder that we do offer the LSAT demon for free uh, to uh, people who get the LSAC fee waiver. We're going to give you four months of it for essentially for free. Uh, Normally it would be $380. We're not going to charge you that at all. We are going to charge you just a one-time fee of $30, and that's because the LSAC actually charges us that $30 for working with you. So if you uh, would like to use the Demon for free, email help at lsatdemon.com with a uh, screenshot of your LSAC fee waiver, and they'll hook you you up with the uh, free or steeply discounted version of the Demon. All right, you ready to dive into these uh, emails? Yeah, let's do it. Why don't you take the first one?
1: Okay. So University of Hawaii, Manoa, pre-law is legit. Hello. I found this from my pre-law advisor. I know you guys shit on pre-law advisors, (laughs) but this spreadsheet is legit. The design is kind of awkward, but it's got a ton of info, exclamation point. Fee waiver information from law school websites. I just
0: clicked on it. You want to take a look at it? Yeah,
1: yeah, I do. Um, Yeah, the formatting is a little awkward, but okay.
0: It's just a Google sheet. It's just like a big Google sheet where they dumped a whole bunch of information. Looks like they've got every ABA law school in here. Uh, It goes all the way down to, yeah, there's 203 lines on the spreadsheet.
1: Okay, yeah. So it has links to the law school website's application page and then notes about how to contact them about fees. Okay.
0: Yeah, the real useful thing is it's got a column for whether they do a Teach for America fee waiver. Then it's got a column for whether they do application fee waivers. Mm-hmm. Uh, some schools just don't have any fees at all. Yeah. Um, Some schools have a you know contact the law school to to ask about a fee waiver. Yeah. Then it's got new credential assembly service fee waiver information. Mm -hmm. So there are some schools who have clearly staked out we're not going to do it. American University Washington College of Law, for example. Yeah. Our law school does not waive or pay the fee for an applicant's LSAC credential assembly service report. Um, hmm. <laughs> you could still ask though right Ben Yeah. just because it says that on their website <laughs> doesn't mean they have to enforce it for you if you're a particularly good uh, particularly good candidate cool anyway that's uh, a link that we can uh, share with uh, everybody on the show notes page so you should yeah. be able to find that at lsatdemon.com
1: I would say this is helpful yeah you find the schools you're interested in and see what they have to say um, cool Also, some info for our fee waiver peeps. This is uh, whoever wrote in and is still writing. I have an LSAC fee waiver that covers six $45 CAS reports. I called LSAC and asked for more, explaining that I never used the waiver to pay for LSAT registrations, and a supervisor returned the $200 I paid for the (laughs) June LSAT to my bank account. That's equivalent of 4.5 additional reports. Yeah. Well, whatever it's equal to, it's money. That's awesome.
0: That's incredible. I mean, I've been laughing about this with my classes that there are some people at LSAC who will just do everything for you. And then there's other people at LSAC who will do nothing for you. Mm -hmm. And so this is, I mean, this is somebody who like, sounds like they got the fee waiver, the LSAC fee waiver recently. Yeah. And then called and said, Hey, you know what? I, I never used it for the LSAT, and they actually went back to June, Ben, and yeah. returned 200 bucks hmm. to this person. So yeah. depending on who you get on the phone at Law School Admission Council, they might be able to do stuff like that for you.
1: Yeah, that's interesting. So um, you get two free LSATs with your fee waiver, right? Yeah. So um, for LSAT registration. So they refunded 200 but presumably not an earlier test, or this person has only taken the test once. Yeah, I don't know. Anyways, just my thought is maybe you should have taken it more than once. <laughs>
0: I don't know. <laughs> well, I mean, it, most people probably should take it more than once yeah. for other reasons. Uh, it. I mean, I'm just thinking, oh, so if you get the fee waiver, even though you've already taken the test multiple times, if you get the fee waiver whoever this supervisor is, they might just refund you $400.
1: Yeah, depending on how (laughs) long ago it was or whatever, or who knows, it's kind of random.
0: Maybe you've already paid for the credential assembly service. Maybe you've even already paid for some of these score reports. If you all of a sudden qualify for this fee waiver, they might be able to refund you that money. I mean, I'm sure as a company, their policy would be, no, we are not going to do that. Mm -hmm. But again, if you act like a lawyer and just keep hammering the phones and asking for special dispensation it's totally possible that that'll happen for you yeah just a little psa save you guys some money um all right here's that was an anonymous email so thanks to whoever sent that in yeah shout out to elizabeth Steele Hutchison at uh university of hawaii at manoa mm. for creating this uh pre-law spreadsheet that is a very useful tool yeah not just for your students but for everybody's students yeah Okay, this one says, can you break down the admissions process or law school timeline? Hi, no one in my family ever went to law school. I'm just so confused about all this. I know I have to take the LSAT and I have an LSAC account, but I'm just dumbfounded how much this whole process costs. I'd ask my parents for money and they'd want to help me, but my dad got furloughed and my mom doesn't have much extra money. I'm the oldest of three and my grandma lives with us. Can you do people like me a favor and break down how to start this law school process? I know you'll tell me not to go to law school, yada, yada, <laughs> but I've talked with about 25 lawyers and interned at the DA's office. I'm entering my senior year at a regional school and have worked all through college. I know how to work hard. Ha ha. I know having some kind of blueprint would help me plan when to take the test and what I have to buy slash save money for. I haven't started studying for the LSAT yet. Best read. Okay. Can we break it down in two
1: minutes? Yeah, for sure. Maybe five minutes? Yeah. So schools start in the fall, right? (laughs) And applications for that fall start a year earlier. Yep. And preparation for, you got to have an LSAT score before you apply and I would say that people should start six months to a year before that. Yep. Um, Obviously, it doesn't take that long. Some people can prepare for the LSAT in like three months, but it doesn't hurt to have that extra time so you're not rushing something that's going to make a big difference in how much money you ultimately have to pay for law school. So I'd say a year and a half to two years out from when you plan to start law school, you want to start preparing for the LSAT. For you, Red, that might be today. So. Sounds like
0: it is. Yeah, I mean, I, I do think that it's something like two years before you want to start school.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: When all, when you add it all up, work you know you can work backward. If we if we wanted to start law school in twenty twenty two, then ideally we would have our applications in in the fall of twenty twenty one, and you might have to take the LSAT multiple times before you send in those applications, and it might take you three months, six months nine months to get your best LSAT score. So starting in November of 2020 to start law school in September of 2022, I don't think that's overly early at all. Yeah. That's probably how long it's going to take. If you want to do this in a civilized way where it's not too stressful, you can study for a little bit every day or most days, you know, five days a week, an hour or two a day for six or nine months, make sure you nail your best LSAT score and then apply early for the next admission cycle. Right now in November, we hear every day, we get emails every day with people talking about their various admissions offers, Mm -hmm. right? Um, Did you see the thread, Ben, where Santi, uh, our teacher, was talking about um, his most recent admissions Oh, no, I didn't see it yet. Yeah. He had applied last cycle and didn't like his offers. So he turned them all down, retook the LSAT, got a higher score, mm-hmm. reapplied, which was a very smart decision. Yeah. But he's already in at Fordham, WashU, Michigan. He's got substantial scholarships at some of his other schools. You know, those are just examples of places that he's in at. Yeah. And the message for Red is. um, you want to make sure you're applying early in the cycle because otherwise you're competing against people who applied earlier than you did, and it's more likely that they're going to get the uh, plum spots and the best scholarships. So that's why we have to do it so far in advance. Yep. How much? How much money do you think Red needs to save? I mean, first Red. Apply for the law school admission council fee waiver. Yeah. If you get that fee waiver, you get two free LSATs, you get the credential assembly service for free. You get a whole bunch of those score reports for free.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: No, no law school will charge you an application fee. If you qualify for the LSAC fee waiver and we'll give you the LSAT demon for free Yeah, or for $30 that we have to pay to the LSAC, yeah. you know, definitely apply right away for that, that fee waiver. If you don't get the fee waiver, how much does all that cost Ben?
1: Well, let's start with LSAC. So the fees to LSAC are going to be $200 a pop for each time you take the LSAT. Most people should plan on taking it twice, maybe three times. So that's $600 right there.
0: For everybody. You should just be fully prepared before you take your first LSAT. Yep, We never, ever recommend anybody go in there and take an official test without being fully prepared. Your practice test scores will tell you whether you're ready if you're happy with your practice test scores, then you can sit for the $200 official test. Don't sign up for that official test until you're sure you're going to get to where you need to get whatever your goals are. But then even having said that, you probably need to plan on taking it at least twice.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Right? Yep. Okay. What are all the other? So that's 400 bucks right there.
1: Let's say 400 bucks. Yeah. And hopefully, you know, you knock it out of the park the first time, but okay. And then save
0: yourself a couple hundred bucks if you do. Yeah. yeah.
1: Although you don't want to be penny wise and pound foolish, right? Because right, at the end of the right. day, we're talking about tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands of dollars are on the line here. It'd be really yeah. foolish to be like, oh, I saved 200 bucks and lost. Yep. Anyways. Okay. Um, the next thing is you have to sign up for CAS, right? Or was it? Is that that's right? Right. The credential f- Assembly Service, yep. yeah, mm-hmm. CAS, mm-hmm. and that's like 145, maybe. I guess we can just Google that really quick. I thought that was like a couple hundred. Yeah, I think
0: they keep creeping that fee up as well. Okay. Um, I'm actually I'm just at gonna... 600 so far.
1: Okay, so yeah, you're actually right. The Credential Assembly Service is 195, and the L side <laughs> is 200. Like, what? <laughs> okay. Anyway. Um. The law school reports are each forty five dollars. So that's the fee you have to pay LSAC every time you apply to a law school. So we have four hundred plus two hundred, so we're at six hundred plus what? You have to apply to at least ten law schools. So that's four hundred and fifty bucks at least
0: yeah and Red might not understand why you have to apply apply to at least ten law schools. We say if you don 't apply to ten law schools you don 't know what your real value is in the marketplace. I mean yeah. the thing we 're fishing for here yeah. is full ride scholarships red says i know i 'm going to i know you 'll tell me not to go to law school yada yada mm. but that 's not what we say. What we say is don 't pay for law school yeah if you apply to ten law schools, red, you give yourself a much better chance of not paying for law schools um, Go to lsatdemon.com slash scholarships, play with your GPA and your LSAT and see what kinds of schools would be most likely to give you those scholarships to figure out where to apply.
1: Yeah. Okay. So So 10 of those. Yeah. So I'm looking Uh, at another $400. 10, yeah, $45. Oh, that's just
0: the report fees.
1: That's just the report fee. You also have the law school side, but right now we're at about a thousand to $1,100.
0: Right. Let's also assume, you know, Red, you can ask every school you apply to, to give you an application fee waiver, whether or not you get their LSAC credential assembly service fee waived. So the schools themselves, probably you can get around having to pay that application fee, but the report fee, you can ask to get that waived as well, but, but that's going to be a little tougher.
1: Yeah. And that's what American was talking about, right? The law right. school report fee as opposed to necessarily their fee. But... If you end up paying the law school application fee at, say, half of them, what are they, like, typically 75 bucks, maybe?
0: Uh, yeah, American is $70, mm-hmm. and it's automatically waived for any applications submitted by May 1st mm-hmm. of 2020. So that was this year's policy. Mm-hmm. I, they seem to roll over pretty quickly on waiving their 70 or 65 or whatever. I, I think we
1: can almost
0: assume that that's zero, Zero? I just don't, yeah.
1: Maybe maybe say 200 bucks just for safety or 100 bucks. Okay. There's going to be one or two that might charge you, right? Okay, so now are we at like 1,300 roughly? 1,200 maybe? Yeah, let's say 12. Let's say 12. Okay, so you're at 1,200 bucks, and then what else you got to do? You got to prepare for the LSAT. Right. So again, um, if you do our program... And you go to the top program, top tier, which is the live classes, seven days a week, that's $295 a month. Most people take four months to prepare, right? So three to four. So that's another $1,200.
0: If you do the top, you know, live subscription, we have lower tiers of subscriptions that are available. For $95 a month, you can drill on your own. 24 hours a day, seven days a week Yeah, using our videos and our written explanations. By the way, um, you can go to lsatdemon.com and sign up for the free trial. The free trial has a growing, um, repository of very useful stuff for $0. You can go to the free trial and watch full live classes, at least one full live class with me. Mm-hmm. Um, I think you'll get a lot out of it. I think it will be super helpful you can also do all the drilling you want um for for free during that free trial period so check out the free trial and see what you like then you can decide how much of the live interactions you you really want premium has you know a couple days a week worth of live stuff the live version has multiple events 7 days a week like i think we have 5 classes today ben so yeah <laughs> it's you know all the live interaction you possibly want yeah so yeah, anywhere between ninety five and two hundred ninety five dollars uh, a month, it'll cost Red for that. Although, if Red gets the uh, fee waiver for the LSAC fee waiver, then you get the basic version of the demon for free or for thirty dollars.
1: Yeah. Now we're assuming that you sign up for some sort of preparation. You don't have to do that, but I I I just feel like it's again being penny wise and pound foolish. Um, your time is also worth something and heading in the right direction for $300 a month or maybe 95 or maybe even $30 for 4 months depending on your situation right i think in the long run is going to pay off big time i'd hate for you to be wasting your time right how many people have we like taught tutored um over the years and they come to us and they say oh i've been studying for the last 6 months but i haven't made any progress Yeah. They're spinning their wheels. No, maybe that's not you, but
0: Oh, people spend months with Khan Academy Mm -hmm. and make no progress. You know, and they're trying to save money, but what they don't realize is they're wasting their most valuable resource time. Mm -hmm. If you're gonna be spending time on LSAT prep, I think you wanna try to be doing it where you're making the most progress possible. And if you end up paying us a little bit of money and we help you make progress, you know, f- much faster and potentially much more progress than you even thought was possible. <laughs> more progress than, you know, your pre law advisor might have told you is possible. Yeah. Like fifteen points or twenty points of improvement on the LSAT. Uh if that's what happens, you're gonna save a couple hundred thousand dollars worth of law school tuition. Yeah. And so, you know, think about the investment there. If you end up spending a $1,000 or whatever it is on the demon, uh, it's well worth it to save, you know, a quarter of a million dollars by the time all the interest and everything adds up on your law school tuition.
1: Yeah. So bottom line, sounds like around $2,400. Yeah. And, uh, but if you get a fee waiver, you could knock that, almost all of that out of the way.
0: <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah, the LSEC fee waiver is worth a lot of money. Everybody who you know has a, a credible case should definitely apply for that fee waiver. Save yourself a lot of that money. Yeah, um, I'm a first generation uh, law student. You know, none of my, my my parents, neither of them, went to college. So I really feel for people like Red and want to help them make good decisions. I mean, that's what we're all about here, right? Is mm-hmm. do this the right way and save yourself hundreds of thousands of dollars because uh law isn't for everybody and uh I hope it's for you red whether or not you end up having a successful legal career I don't want you to be saddled with a quarter of a million dollars of debt that you didn't need to have mm-hmm. so invest you know start a couple years ahead of time invest a couple thousand dollars and set yourself off on the right path uh in law school
1: yeah Thanks, Red. Next one. Yeah. Hey, Ben and Nathan. So this is an admissions question: Y, X, and scholarships. Um, hi, Ben and Nathan. Thanks for all of your advice on the show. In the last year, I've jumped twelve points between official LSAT scores: a one hundred fifty-nine to one hundred seventy-one. Wow. Okay. There's an example of what we were just talking about. That's a game changer. And couldn't have done it without the podcast. Now that I have a score I'm ready to apply with, I have a few law school admissions questions. Should I ever write an unsolicited YX essay? If yes, when should I do so? Um, your immediate gut reaction to this was, no, don't do it. I think in yeah. general that's true, but I just thought of an exception, actually. I think in place of a letter to... Like, Well, essentially a letter of continued interest, right? If some school puts you on a wait list and you want to say, hey, look, I am serious about you, (laughs) I wouldn't necessarily frame it as a formal YX. It's just that it probably is going to take on some of those characteristics and might be a paragraph or two and you send it off.
0: Yep. I think that that is right. Carl is going to be talking about that a lot in his uh, upcoming admissions workshops Letter Letters of continued interest or L O C I, mm-hmm. I think people might even say loci or something, loci or something <laughs> like that. Um, they are a thing that people do yep. when they get put on wait lists normally. So if a school says, hey, thank you for applying, We're, we've put you on the wait list, that's a good opportunity to, to write them a letter specifically about your interest in their school.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: I might also, you know. If there was a school that you had particular ties to, Mm -hmm. especially if you're a reach at that school, Mm -hmm. then it might be appropriate to tailor your personal statement to that school. Hmm. Or I think that most schools have like a, is there anything else you'd like us to know? Yeah. And if you're not already doing, you know, addendums about your grades or whatever, I could see writing a short paragraph or two about, you know, your dad went to university of whatever law school and, you know, you have these specific family ties. I wouldn't do it for more than one school, but I could see, you know, maybe making that plea, but I would think you probably only want to do that if you're, you know, you're going to be on the bubble.
1: Yeah, and you'd want to do it if you have something special to say. I I feel like these YX essays, especially if they're unsolicited, fall short. Yeah. When the writer is just kind of making shit up and they see right through that. And now you've just done something worse, right, than doing nothing at all. But if you have serious and identifiable. Sincere reasons for going to that school, telling them would show that they that you know about them and that you are unlikely to be a yield risk, right? And so, yeah, I agree. I, I think you could have some cases where you should write it, but you'd know that you have something to say.
0: Yeah, I think the default presumption here is no, unless you have a specific reason. I- I don't think we probably need to be doing that.
1: Yeah. Anonymous continues. Do you have tips for choosing which schools to apply to based on scholarship predictions? For context, I have a 3.97 GPA, and you have a 171. That's awesome. And I'm committed to attending law school in or near D.C. for personal reasons. In addition to applying to most schools in this area, I want to apply to some others with the goal of receiving scholarships I can use in negotiations. My career goal is public service, so I especially don't want to pay for law school. Thank you.
0: Um, I went really quick, Ben. This took me 10 seconds. I went to lsatdemon.com slash scholarships. I put in a 3.97 and a 171, Mm -hmm. and I hit submit. Um, The first full ride in the D.C. area that I see is George Mason. Yeah, George Mason's in DC, right?
1: Uh, It's just outside of DC, but it's, yeah, it's a a local school that for sure. It's in the area. Yep. Mm -hmm.
0: Ranked, it looks like 42nd in the country. Mm -hmm. And it says you probably would get a greater than full tuition scholarship (laughs) with those numbers. (laughs) Yeah. Um, I'm also seeing.
1: By the way, I just want to note that that stipend right there would probably more than pay for your. All the stuff you paid to apply to law school. Oh, Red's
0: question about the two, yeah. you know, $2,000 that Red was going to have to spend for applications in LSAT and LSAT prep. Uh, yeah, the stipend. I mean, we've heard of people getting up to $10,000 stipends from yeah. schools in some cases. That's why you want to apply broadly. But I am seeing also a um, half to full tuition at George Washington. Mm-hmm. Just looking at the at the uh, DC area schools. Um, yeah. it says half to full at Georgetown. Wow. This is an this is a an estimate. This is a, a free public service for y'all. It's at lsatdemon.com slash scholarships. It's by no means binding or, you know, ultra scientific. We've made it as scientific as we can, but it's 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 all estimates.
1: I also looked at the University of Virginia. Uh, which is ranked eighth in the country, right, In or whatever. Although they're not in the D.C. area, a lot of D.C. folks go out a couple hours there and end up still practicing here in D.C. So, And there you'd get less than half, but that's still something, um, and it's a great school. Holy smokes. Um, yeah, anyways. Yeah, cool. All right, is that everything for Anonymous? Good luck. Yeah
0: tips yeah i mean sh- so anonymous is asking for tips for choosing which schools to apply to based on scholarship predictions i would apply to the ones where it looks like you're going to get a full ride i mean yeah you,
1: exactly you know, but
0: if you're totally going to just if you really are in the dc area then of course you should apply to virginia with these credentials yeah you should apply to virginia you should apply to georgetown yep but you should also apply to GW and George Mason and American and all the other local area schools. There are, I think there are enough schools in DC that Anonymous doesn't doesn't really need to apply outside of DC.
1: Well, some of them are are pretty I low would tier. probably <laughs> so. right. So
0: what I would say is I think DC or sorry, why do I keep saying DC? I think Anonymous wants to probably apply to like Harvard. Yeah with a 3.97 and a 171, I mean, that's a contender at a school like Harvard. And yeah. if you get into Harvard, then that is going to be pretty powerful leverage to use against Georgetown.
1: Yeah. You have to think about the schools that Georgetown would be competing with, and they're eyeing the ones in the top 20.
0: The ones where it would you would be a credible risk to go somewhere else. Yeah. You know, like I wouldn't apply to somewhere less than Georgetown and expect that, oh, you know, I got a full ride to American. And so therefore I'm going to use that as leverage against Georgetown. I, I don't really think so.
1: Although, Maybe al- although that's GW. not as likely. But yeah, G- I mean, I think people do struggle with that decision a lot. They get full ride right. to GW and then, yeah, Georgetown is a little bit better, a little higher ranked. But it's like they're charging you money. I'm like, yeah, I'm going to go right down the street. And go for free. Can you help me out? And then I think they 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 want to. They may not, but that's the thing. You apply to the local schools, and then you apply to other schools that are in their tier, and ideally giving you <laughs> something. And I would apply, I would look at this list. I mean, everybody says this. I I want to attend near DC for personal reasons. I I don't know what your personal reasons are, anonymous. And I'm sure in your head, right at this moment, you're like, look, they are non negotiable. I have to go to DC. And I just want to question that every single time I hear it. Just, really? Like, people are being kicked out of their country right now in, like, Azerbaijan, right, or something like that. Like, things sometimes just change, and you have... (laughs) and you adapt. People adapt. I mean, it sucks. It's shitty, but... Think
0: about all the wild changes that have happened since COVID. Yeah. I mean, you know, I'm living in a different state because COVID happened. Yeah. And that's like, you don't, life is long and it's going to have lots of twists and turns. And so, sure, for personal reasons, you know, I'm imagining a family, maybe a house. Like, I, I get it that you're probably unlikely to leave the DC area. But the schools don't know that either. So if you apply to Washington University in St. Louis, they're known for giving full ride scholarships to try to attract people to St. Louis. Yeah. If if they give you that full ride and Georgetown only gives you a fifty percent one, it's a good problem to have because now you can consider whether you should go. Two, that's one that's you know they're high ranked enough. They're they're ranked right shoulder to shoulder with Georgetown. And if Georgetown's like, man, that 3.79 and that 171 would look awful good on our 509 report instead of the 509 report of Washington University in St. Louis, who knows? They might uh, up their offer.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah.
0: Cool. Cool. This brings us to <laughs> – this is a YouTube comment. Have you seen this before, Ben, or did this just come from um, – maybe A. Dot put this on the agenda for us.
1: No, I haven't seen this.
0: Uh, I guess it's a YouTube comment. It says, I know you guys like to boast about the LSAT demon being research-based, but have you ever actually done any research yourself? Yale, Harvard, and Stanford gave a handful of scholarships last year. Georgetown gave money through March. What is this based on? Opinion? Would be cool if you could share facts to back up your argument. Thousands of people look to you for advice, and it's not that hard to put the legwork in to give sound, informed advice. That's Jamie.
1: Okay. Um, what is this in reference to scholarships
0: or I'm inferring that it's, that it's in response to one, our scholarship estimator. Okay. Because our scholarship estimator right at the top, it always says need based for Yale, Harvard and Stanford. Sure. Mm -hmm. Um, so maybe Jamie's looking at that and saying, Hey, what's this based on? Yep. Or maybe it's, comments from the podcast where we have said before, Yale, Harvard, Stanford don't really give scholarships. Yeah. That's based on all the information we have saying that they gave a handful of scholarships. Doesn't really change my assessment of whether those schools give merit based. They don't, they don't give merit based scholarships. I mean, they all say we don't give merit based scholarships. We give need based scholarships. Yeah. We're going off of that information. The thing Georgetown gave money through March, I think that must be in reference to our repeated advice, including on this actual episode that you apply early to give yourself the best chances at scholarships. What do you say, Ben, when someone says, oh, well, Georgetown gave money through, you know, so-and-so got a scholarship from Georgetown in March. What do you say?
1: Great. I mean, I don't, what do you mean? Like, what do I say? Well, I mean, it's
0: just – this is the kind of thing that we hear all the time. It's it's not like this is the first time anybody's ever said this to us.
1: Yeah. Wait, is this person thinking that we say that Georgetown won't give money later? This seems to be an
0: objection based on anecdotal evidence that it is possible to get a scholarship to Harvard or it is possible to get a scholarship to Georgetown in March. What do you say back? <laughs>
1: Well, I guess what I'm confused about is I don't feel like I've ever said they wouldn't give someone a scholarship in March. In fact, I feel like what we're saying is apply as early as you can to increase your chances of success. And we, the fact that someone got money in March doesn't tell me anything about when they applied. I mean, these negotiations <laughs> right. take... I, I guess I'm just like kind of befuddled by the objection.
0: You don't, under, you don't understand the comment. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, my response is just yes, there are outliers, but we're sure. we giving yeah. we're we're giving our best estimate. We're giving our best advice to all people. People get hurt; they get butt hurt, Ben. When I tell them not to apply in January, they get they get like personally offended that because I'm like striking down their plan for the next year. Yeah, which I understand that it's not what you want to hear. Nonetheless, if it were my money, I would definitely advise you to hold off on your applications and apply in September for the following September's class. If you want to apply to Georgetown in March, fishing for a scholarship, more power to you. I don't care. It's not my money. What I'm saying, and and I'm not saying it's impossible, but what I am saying is I think you'd give yourself a better chance if you waited until the beginning of the next cycle. And what I've seen dozens of students do over the years is apply late, apply to not enough schools, get a bunch of shitty offers, and then just throw up their hands and accept one of those shitty offers. That's what we don't want you to do. So our advice is, you know, maybe we're giving you like the perfect world advice, but our advice would be apply early, apply broadly. Don't expect a merit-based scholarship to Harvard or Yale or Stanford don't expect to get great scholarship offers. If you apply late in the cycle, if you do awesome, but that's, it's just less likely than if you do it the other way around. Yeah. Um, as far as what we base our, you know, this response, I don't know. It just rubs me the wrong way. Like, well, it's not that hard to actually do the research okay, we're, we're all ears. I mean, if you have better data than we do, we would love to adapt the scholarship estimator, Ben, which again is at lsatdemon.com slash scholarships in the upper right-hand corner, there's a link that says, see our assumptions and offer feedback. The reason why we've got that link there is that we want people to know exactly, um, what kind of assumptions we're making. Yeah. So if you want to learn more about how the, um, how the estimator works we have the whole thing about how we do the index how we do the underrepresented minority checkbox how we assign the scholarships all of our assumptions are right there and there's a form where you can submit your feedback to our team and we will continue to evolve um as best we can yeah uh that's that
1: Good luck, Jamie. I'm actually still confused about the question because I feel like it's partly about the demon and partly about like scholarships and – yeah. I also disagree with this idea that doing research is easy. Um, (laughs) No, it is not easy. And
0: that's – I don't know. I'm thinking – to me, it's looking like somebody who's just popping off saying – you know, well, what about this one outlier? You yeah. know, what about this one person who got a, sco- a scholarship to Georgetown in March? It's you like, haven't yeah, accounted I know. But that. they admit, by the way, they admit 500 people every year. So if one of those 500 people got a scholarship in March, great. They're an, they're an outlier. Yeah. But <laughs> that doesn't mean that we're not giving sound advice. One data point does not disprove a general proposition.
1: Yeah. All right. Thanks, Jamie. We appreciate your uh, interest. Maybe you can give us some more feedback and we can Oh help adjust. at LSAT sorry,
0: help at thinkinglsat.com. Jamie, if you want to make your question a little bit more clear, we'd be happy to to respond to it. And if again, if you do have data or information to make our shit better, we're always trying to learn. We're always trying to get better. Yep. Um I mean we take it seriously that people rely on our advice. So yeah, we <laughs> we are trying, to, we're doing the best we can. Hills to die on, Ben? Yeah, let's do it. I thought maybe we could do like one LSAT one and one non-LSAT one. (laughs) Okay, sure. Uh, I have a couple in the chamber if you want me to just go ahead and fire. Yeah,
1: shoot.
0: Okay. For the LSAT one... Wait, um,
1: we should probably tell people what Hills to die on is.
0: Oh, yeah. Hills to die on is a feature that was suggested by producer Annalisa. A dot. where we (laughs) we stake out an unpopular opinion Mm -hmm. that we believe is true. Uh, this is the, you know, we're planting our flag and saying, hey, we're willing to go to the mattresses on this one. Research uh, or not. <laughs> <laughs> research <laughs> or not. <laughs> okay. Um, the the first one that came to, or a million of these came to mind. But I firmly believe that you should not study for the LSAT full-time. yeah, And I think that runs counter to a lot of advice from some of the big prep companies. Uh, the, com- uh, the company who shall remain nameless is uh notorious for telling their students that they should be studying for 30 or 40 hours a week. And I think that that is totally 100% wrong. <laughs> what do you think?
1: Well, every time I think about that company, I remember when I first started teaching the LSAT and This was back when, you know, I'm this soul dude sitting in this like classroom with like four other people. And (laughs) I remember these students would come from this company that shall not be named. And I remember this one girl was like, this is the memory that always just comes to my mind. I'm like sitting next to her and she said, Well, I have this book that this company gave me. And I've been doing these practice problems. And I'm like, oh, yeah, okay, can I see it? And then I all of a sudden I realized that the book was presenting literally like hundreds, probably like 300 must-be-true questions from logical (laughs) reasoning just back to back to back. And she's like, yeah, I have to finish these. I have to finish 100 of these by my next class. And I... I was like, whoa, 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 just stop, stop. I mean, first you're doing a bunch of the same questions back to back to back. At the time, I didn't realize how big of a deal that was. I was kind of like, it didn't feel right, but I was like, okay, well, maybe you'll like master that. But at the same time, I knew right away that was just way too much work for the next few days of like all the other things that she had to do. It was just crazy. They just assigned a ton of work. It felt like Barbary where they're like, hey- Read all this stuff so that if you fail, you can't sue us because we could be like, yeah, we gave you that information.
0: (laughs) Right. Well, I mean, I would like to particularly shit on Kaplan uh, for doing something very similar to that, which Mm. was Kaplan, they love to talk about their refund policy. 100% money back guarantee if you don't improve your score, (laughs) right? Pay us $2,000 up front, by the way, for one of the worst LSAT classes you could possibly get, and we will guarantee that you improve your LSAT score or give you uh, your money back. But the uh, stipulations on getting that money back, go to every single class, do every single shred of homework. Yeah. Show up for every single practice exam back in the days when we were allowed to get together in person. Send an official score report (laughs) that has a lower score than your previous score. You know, so like you have to actually pay 200 bucks and sit and take the LSAT in order to get your refund. Think about that, Ben. Yeah. You take the shitty class. It doesn't help you. And now you have to actually pay money to take the official test in order to get the refund from the shitty class that didn't actually help you. Well, so they're and like, it's
1: also only, right, they, it <laughs> sounds impressive. Higher score, like, oh, yeah, that's what I want. I want a higher score, but 170, or I'm sorry, <laughs> 151 to 152? Oh, that's yeah. the mark of success.
0: Yeah, if you improve at all, you're not going to qualify for the refund. And the amount of homework that they give you is like basically studying full-time for the LSAT. Yeah. Ben, why don't you think studying full-time is good.
1: Well, I think you burn out. Um, analogies can fall apart in all different ways, but the analogy that I always come back to is imagine going to the gym every day for six hours. You're going to kill mm. yourself. You're going mm-hmm. to go backwards in progress. You're like, I just did push-ups yesterday. Now I'm doing them again. And wow, I can't do as many as I did yesterday. Well, you're, you're not recovering, and your brain needs to recover. And this is actually talking about research-based. Look, I didn't do the research, but I trust Angela Duckworth who said the, the best performers out there, they give themselves – they study for an hour, but it's not, it's not easy. It's not a walk in the park. They go after the shit that they suck at, and they make sure they really learn during that time. They're focused. They don't have notifications on. Have you ever tutored someone who had notifications popping in on their screen?
0: Oh, dude, the amount of distractions that people subject themselves to. You know, yeah, you can see people. I mean, nowadays it's all online. Yeah. But even tutoring somebody online, I can see them glancing over at their phone, you know, oh, let me just shut this off real quick. And it's like, oh, okay. Well, I thought we were trying to make progress, but you're, it's critical, huh, that you get that, you know, Instagram notification or whatever it is. Yeah. Uh, the other thing that I see, this is, it's, People's people with their pets.
1: Oh yeah, yeah. It's always tell them to do things. Get off the couch, or whatever. <laughs> I,
0: you know, I'm in the market for a dog, Ben. I, I really want to adopt a dog, but yeah. I uh, that dog is not going to be interrupting me while I'm teaching, or interrupting me while I'm trying to do, you know, real work. Um, we see people, I, people on camera all the time. They're they're sitting there in class, and their cat is just like uh, going across their keyboard, you know, and it's like. <laughs> Maybe that's not a distraction. Maybe it is a distraction though. Yeah. (laughs) So I think that you, you become way more susceptible to that. Of course you do. If you try to do this shit full time, full time. Yeah. I would much rather have one high quality hour. Like, Mm -hmm. People's kids, too, you know, yeah. like I, I see them, they're in class, but they're also taking care of their baby. Yeah. Which I understand that, you know, you got to take care of the baby. Of course, the baby is job one. Yeah. But boy, it would be great if you could carve out an hour or two, you know, where you don't have the baby. Yep. Because we want deep work, right? We want mm-hmm. like high quality hours so that you actually make progress yeah 10 shitty hours or one good hour Uh, I might rather have the one good hour in fact I know I would rather have the one good hour
1: and it's more 10 shitty
0: hours is a yeah 10 shitty hours is a real good way to burn out
1: Mm
0: -hmm. you know instead you could give me one good hour I'd like that a lot better
1: yeah you want to do anything more on uh, Hills to Die On? Hills to Die On. No, that's pretty good. I was I w- I wanted to get in there my um, notification pet peeve, and uh, I got it. That's another one I got on. <laughs> like, just turn your phone off. Yeah, I don't turn my phone off. Well, but I, yeah, I just mean, like, shut it down, you know, like in terms I of, have
0: all the notifications shut off. Like, yeah. I only, you know, the only... Not- I do get phone
1: calls. Yep, mm-hmm. Oh, you know how uh, you can turn off uh, phone calls from people you don't know? Do you know about that feature? Right. I yeah, love oh, that there's feature. all kinds of yeah. different, uh-huh, no, yeah. Uh, right. I have that on all the time. So now if someone calls me and I don't recognize the number, it doesn't go through.
0: Straight to voicemail. Yep. Yeah. Cool. Uh, okay, that was Hills yeah. to Die On. Ready for this uh, next email?
1: Yeah. Hey, guys. I'm a longtime listener and a longtime Demon subscriber. I used the demon and the podcast to briefly familiarize myself with the test before my first take in July of 2019. Okay. For context, it's November 2020. After canceling my score, I signed up for the February 2020 LSAT and began studying in earnest in December. Okay. I scored a 172 on the February LSAT. Congrats. After four months of deciding whether or not to retake. Oh. It's a long time of deliberation. Um, I resubscribed in July and buckled down. In August, okay, one month later, I scored a 179. Awesome. Nice. I attribute 100% of my success to you and the demon. Your style of disrespecting the arguments gave me the edge in LR that I needed. Your advice to slow down in RC, to truly understand what I was reading, unlocked the section for me, and I don't even... Then don't even get me started on the efficacy of worlds. Okay. As I took the test, I heard Nathan's voice in my head saying, wow, what a dumb fucking argument. What about XYZ? (laughs) I guess you should read this one on games. I imagined Ben drawing worlds on his whiteboard, baking the rules directly into them. As he went, I finished the section with so much confidence and extra time that I sat. I just sat back and relaxed waiting for my next section. The test Is all caps learnable? And thanks to you and your phenomenal platform, I learned it. Wow, this is (laughs) Did you write this, Nathan, before we No,
0: we did not write this, but this is the
1: type of shit we get. The money I spent on the demon is a pittance. Pittance compared to the hundreds of thousands of dollars I will save on tuition, not to mention the peace of mind from attending debt free. Shit. I'm willing to bet some schools will even offer to pay me. Thank you so yep. much for everything. I will be singing my praises to both you and the demon to every prospective law student. I meet best Ryan. Wow. Thanks. Ryan. Okay. Well, that was just like a nice, um, nice email for us to read.
0: It's amazing these days. I mean, people are improving by leaps and bounds and, uh, having fun while they're doing it. The test makes perfect sense, man. The logical reasoning arguments are dumb. All you have to do is just learn how to attack those arguments. Yeah. The reading comprehension passages are collections of all of the correct answers to the questions. I mean, the questions make perfect sense. Like there's usually a line reference that specifically answers every single question. If you read it well enough, you'll just recognize those answers. You don't even have to go back and confirm that that was the answer. You just remember that that's what they said. That's what they were talking about. Um, They make perfect sense. And then on the games, I mean the games could be solved by a computer, right? The games are like 100% logical with no interpretation ever. It's just like, well – the rules add up in such a way that this puzzle only fits this one way and that's why the answer is whatever the answer is so you're right ryan it's an extremely learnable test i don't often recommend that people retake from a 172 but with a 172 you missed like 10 questions and um those 10 questions made sense yeah and ryan realized that those 10 questions made sense studied for a little bit longer and ended up with a 179. I mean, yeah, good on you. Yeah. That's awesome. Time for this LR question? Let's do it. Cool. I got it loaded up. So do I? You want to read the argument?
1: Yeah. So this is test 65, section four, question 12. Logical reasoning. It says, the best jazz singers use their voices much as horn players use their instruments.
0: Okay. Interesting. Weird usage there, huh? With much as. Yeah. <laughs> What's that mean? Did you tr- did you translate that when you read it? Uh,
1: like. <laughs> or very yeah. very similar to <laughs> yes.
0: Right. We all learn in school that you can say like or as to to use a simile, right? Mm-hmm. This is a simile. But most people only use like. Mm-hmm. Most people don't use it. No, they don't they don't use as mm-hmm. in this way. Yeah. But that's, what that, that's what's happening there is a, it's, a, it's a simile comparing the way they use their voices to the way they use their – to the way horn players use their instruments. I All
1: will right. admit, I did have a couple thoughts and I almost didn't share them with our listeners. But one was first trying to understand this. Okay, so this person or this sentence is claiming that j- the best jazz singers use their voices very similarly to the way that horn players use their instruments – and I'm like, okay. okay, interesting claim. And then my second reaction to that was like, really? Like, they're they're using their voices? Like, okay, I mean, whatever. Like, I'm curious to hear more, but I am skeptical. Metaphor and simile
0: are inherently... Potentially bullshit, yeah. right? It's mm-hmm. it, like, and, and we know better than anybody because we use metaphor and simile nonstop yeah. on the podcast and in our classes. It can be a very powerful way of um, teaching, right? Yes. Is it, it's oh, it's like this. Oh, it's the same thing as this. Mm-hmm. Uh, analogies, metaphors, and similes. We use them all the time. Yeah, but they're always they they're all – you can always I can feel a little eye roll when someone does one right it's mm-hmm. like oh boy here we go really yeah. they use their voices the same way that horn player okay you know yeah it just makes me skeptical it's it's it is correct to always be skeptical right you should mm-hmm. be you should be trying to call bullshit now that might turn out to be a premise of their argument yep in which case we won't argue with it yeah but if that turns out to be the conclusion of this argument then our job is to say, Hey, wait a second. That might be bullshit. Yeah. So we don't know yet. So we have to maintain that level of, uh, incredulity. The mm-hmm. very worst thing you could be on LSAT logical reasoning is credulous. Yeah. That's a, the worst possible insult is that you are credulous. You just believe everything that people tell you, uh, including us, you know, you should call bullshit on us. Yep. But our job as, as savvy LSAT students, is to be extremely skeptical of everything they say in these arguments, and you'll be surprised how easy the questions get if you can do that properly.
1: That just reminded me of like students who not only believe what the LSAT is telling them in these logical reasoning arguments, but also like sometimes push back and say, "Well, don't I have to believe that? I mean, that's what it said." And I'm like, "Oh dear, it's too bad that." You have that idea in your head that you just have to accept it. Yes, you have to accept premises, but you don't have to accept the conclusion. And that's exactly what we're talking about.
0: We don't know whether this is a premise or a conclusion yet. So we, we are maintaining that. our distance, mm-hmm. right? We're, yeah. we'll, we'll get through the whole argument and then we'll go, oh, I see. This was your evidence and this was your conclusion. Does your conclusion follow from your evidence? I'll now let go of my skepticism about your evidence because I'm just going to accept the game is accept that as fact mm-hmm. and then see whether they, they actually got to their conclusion from those facts and which they rarely do.
1: Yeah. That's, that's the game. This argument continues. The great Billie Holiday thought of her singing voice as a horn, reshaping melody and words to increase their impact. Well, hold up. Okay, I hate this. I mean, this sounds like evidence for the first claim. Um, I hate it because what Billy thought doesn't have anything to do with whether that's actually true. I mean, it has something. Like, maybe she's right. Yeah. but
0: I mean, her testimony would certainly be um, – Worthy of considering right Sure like, it would be If this was a court case mm-hmm. About whether the best jazz singers Use their voices Much as horn players Use their instruments And if she's like I do And if I were on the other side mm-hmm. You know like let's say I'm the attorney for Yes they do And you're the attorney for No they don't hmm um I if I could call the great Billie Holiday to the stand and ask her for her professional opinion you know like yeah. I could establish her credentials pretty easily and her saying oh yes I the great Billie Holiday do use my voice as a horn it's hard to think of better evidence for whether jazz singers, the best jazz singers, Billie Holiday, being one of them.
1: My my rebuttal would still be: I love that you thought you were doing that, but
0: you were not. You you can make that objection, but I think Billy and I might have a winning case here. The masses are
1: always credulous. <laughs> Okay,
0: anyways. Okay, but, well, the thing we have done, though, here, Ben, is we have, I think we have already identified that that second sentence is a premise in support of the first. Yes. Okay.
1: Conversely, jazz horn players achieve their distinctive sounds by emulating the spontaneous twists and turns of an impassioned voice.
0: (sighs) I'd actually rather have a specific person there, right? Like if they, if that was like the great Duke Ellington, you know, or Dizzy Gillespie, or whatever. I don't. That's the two jazz musicians, Wynton Marsalis. uh, Mm -hmm. You know, if if we had, I can imagine putting those people on the stand and and having them testify that, oh yeah, I do. I use my horn like a voice. That would be good evidence for the proposition that the best jazz singers use their voice as much as horn players use their instruments. Or maybe not. Actually, no, because that conclusion is about just the singers. Yeah. This, so this is this is the other.
1: This is almost like yeah, this like a second converse. conclusion or something like that, or mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. maybe okay. So now this is like the other side of the coin. Okay. So not only do the best jazz singers use their voices like horn right. players use their instruments, but horn players use their instruments like jazz singers use their voices oh that's yeah it's,
0: it is it's a new thing it's a mm-hmm. it's the converse it's the other way around okay
1: okay All right. okay a uh, drum roll here um so jazz consists largely of voice-like horns and horn-like voices what the what The, that? <laughs> what the that making just a shit bunch up. of nerds yeah yeah so jazz consists largely of voice-like horns and horn-like voices. Horn-like, I don't think that word exists except for on the LSAT. Um, (laughs) In any case, okay, that's, I get it. There was like, there was a mini argument at the beginning. There was like kind of some evidence in in the middle and then a conclusion that brought those two things together. How do you know that's their conclusion? Uh, Well, two reasons. One so kind of suggests it's a conclusion, but that could be an intermediate conclusion. So I don't know that for sure. But really, I know this because the ideas that came before are being used and can be used to support this last claim. Yeah. I find that
0: keyword to be very helpful, though. Mm -hmm. I mean, when they say so or therefore, um, it's it's eight times out of ten. That's going to be the ultimate conclusion of their argument. Not always, the ideas trump. Uh, there are also many arguments that don't use any of the keywords at all, and we have to infer which one was the conclusion based on, you know, well these facts w- could be used to support this conclusion. So here it's both of those things. And right? Here's, we have the yeah the keyword, and we have the ideas adding up in yeah, that way. Both
1: right, and but if I had to choose between the two, I would actually favor the ideas. Um, Of course,
0: that's the only really reliable way because they, sometimes the keywords just aren't even there.
1: Yeah. Here's a hill that I would die on, by the way, ooh, the word, so right. I would say this, I'm not talking about all the indicators out there. I'm just going to talk about. So for a half second here, I'm going to say that. So always introduces either an intermediate conclusion or the main conclusion. I don't think I've seen it, at least when it's used in this context, uh, to do anything otherwise, that's the rub though, is it, sometimes people just look at that and they think, oh, it's a main conclusion and it could be an intermediate conclusion. Yeah. I don't think that
0: one qualifies for hills to die on because I think everybody would agree with you. I think every time they ever use so or therefore
1: I agree that they probably wouldn't argue, but I do find that it is news to a lot of people. Like they don't realize that. Oh, oh, here's another thing that's news to people. It's going to point back to a premise. You can't say so in a vacuum. Anyways,
0: yeah, they would never say it first, would they? Yes. The, the, you can't say th- so or therefore as the first word yeah. of your argument. You can put your conclusion first, yep. but you can't ever put so and then start your argument. That <laughs> just doesn't it's, – it's always – the thing that came before was the evidence and the thing that's coming after is the conclusion. That does not mean that it has to be the main conclusion of the argument. It could be an intermediate conclusion of the argument. Yeah. Okay. Cool. Anyway, what's this question about?
1: Which one of the following most accurately describes the role – played in the argument by the claim that the best jazz singers use their voices much as horn players use their instruments. I'm immediately going to say that's an intermediate conclusion that was supported by the second sentence that ultimately was used to support the last sentence, and that's why it's intermediate, not main.
0: Okay. Yeah, I tend to teach people to just focus on, was it evidence Mm -hmm. or was it the main conclusion? Mm -hmm. Because intermediate conclusions are both evidence and Mm -hmm. a conclusion. Mm -hmm. But I think we can keep it simple without even bringing up the idea. You're a professional LSAT teacher, so you might just spot like, well, yeah, it was an intermediate conclusion. But at a more basic level, listen, is this the ultimate conclusion of the argument? Did they come here to prove to you that the best jazz singers use their voices much as horn players use their instruments? Yeah. Or was there a further conclusion beyond that. And I think if you look at the argument carefully enough, especially because of that last sentence and the way they used so there, you know that that last sentence is at least a conclusion of the argument, if not the main conclusion of the argument. They're not asking us about that. They're asking us about a different part of the argument. Mm -hmm. So we have to, first thing is, is a, sorry, is the claim that the best jazz singers use their voice as much as horn players use their instruments. Is that the main conclusion of the argument? No. Yeah. So that's what I would go. Nah, it was part of the argument, but not the main conclusion.
1: All right. I, I mean, I would say that I don't think it's, I think if you're paying attention, it's not too hard to also get good at seeing how these things relate to each other. But yes, when People are doing these in general. It's like, is this premise or conclusion? Let's just start there.
0: Yeah, because they people outsmart themselves by wasting time thinking about intermediate. I find that people just get in the weeds with intermediate conclusions. Mm. Like just yes or no. Is it the main conclusion? No? Okay. So is it is it a premise though? Is it part of the argument? It's not the opposite of the conclusion, right? And it's not like totally irrelevant, right? Yeah. So it's evidence in support of the main conclusion? Okay. Let's start there. What's A say?
1: So, well, before we go into A, really quick, this is a role, or I'd call this a role or a reasoning question. The name doesn't really matter so much. But the point is, is that the five answer choices are going to describe the role of that claim. And um, flaw questions do this, and role slash reasoning questions do this. The five answer choices are descriptions which means they have to describe exactly what the claim is doing. And if any part of it is wrong, I'm going to stop. I'm not going to finish reading the answer choice, and I'm going to mark it as wrong because it has to be 100% perfect. How, How do you
0: go fast on logical reasoning and reading comp for that matter? How do you go fast? You go fast by knowing that the wrong answers are wrong and just getting rid of them. Like when we're reading A, we expect it to be wrong 80% of the time. And so we do not have to read all the way through these answer choices to know that they're wrong. And that's critical. That's something that that, uh, students, novices do wrong. You know, they just, let's read A to demonstrate.
1: It's the argument's main conclusion. So right there, I would stop and I'd say, no, it's not the main conclusion. We just said it's on the evidence side. This is out. Yeah. But this answer choice goes for another three lines and is supported by another statement, which itself is itself supported by a further statement. If you're getting all <laughs> tied up in that, <laughs> right. you're consuming time, the clock is right. ticking. Not that I want you to think about that, but you are unnecessarily reading.
0: Exactly. You're, you're overcomplicating it for yourself. When they say it is the argument's main conclusion and... I don't care what comes after the and because it is not the argument's main conclusion. So uh, that's it. I don't read any further. Meanwhile, novices and intermediate students take forever trying to unpack the rest of an already wrong answer. All right. How about B?
1: B it's, it is the arguments only conclusion. Again, I would stop there. I've already identified it as an intermediate conclusion. So I know there's more than one conclusion. If you did not identify that, you could look at this and say, well, wait a sec, Um, there's got to be the main conclusion somewhere else because this is on the premise side. So that's another way of getting rid of it right then and there.
0: Yeah, Billie Holiday was evidence for the claim that the best jazz singers use their voices much as horn players use their instruments. So there are two conclusions in this argument. The first sentence and the last sentence are both conclusions of the argument. So it's the argument's only conclusion? No? It's not. And so that answer is gone.
1: Yeah. See, it is a statement for which some evidence is provided. Yeah. The second sentence Billie about Billy Holiday was evidence provided for it and in which, in, I'm sorry, and which in turn is used to provide support for the argument's main conclusion. Yes, that's what an intermediate conclusion does. And yes, this was what we identified as a premise or evidence for the main conclusion. So this is, yeah. this is To good. make it
0: really explicit. Billie Holiday is the primary like evidence for the intermediate conclusion that the best jazz singers use their voice as much as horn players use their instruments, which is in turn used to support the argument's main conclusion that jazz consists largely of voice-like horns and horn-like voices. The jazz singers part was was part of that. And Billie Holiday was an example or a premise in support of the jazz singer's intermediate conclusion used to support that main conclusion. So the answer C is 100% correct. D.
1: It is a statement for which no evidence is provided. Nope. The evidence from Billie Holiday was provided for it. So done. And that answer choice keeps going, but we don't need to read it. And E. It is a statement used to support a conclusion No, it was – Well – Oh, okay. It was used to support a conclusion, the main conclusion. That in turn is used to support the argument's main conclusion. No.
0: Yeah. E is the only wrong answer there where I would have to get – like actually read all of it because an intermediate conclusion is a statement used to support a conclusion. Yeah. But then it goes on and says that that is in turn used to support the argument's main – no, no, no. This statement, the one they're asking us about, supports the main conclusion and is supported by other evidence before that. Yeah. Cool. Real easy here to get rid of A, B, and D without even reading all of it. Yeah. And that's how we go fast. Like a professional or a um, advanced student is going to take all the time they need with that argument and all the time they need with the question and predicting an answer. Mm Mm-hmm. And once we do that, we get to just tear through the answer choices. The wrong answers are just so wrong, and we expect them to be wrong. And we don't have to read all of them, and that's, or all the way through each of them, and that's how we go fast.
1: You know what I just realized? What? We have a name for the passage, we have a name for the question, and we have a name for the answer choices, right? The answer choices, okay. the question, the passage. But really, okay. there are, in my mind, and let me know what you think of this, there are five things. There's the passage— Then there's that space between the passage and the question, and then there's the question, and then there's the space between the question and the answer choices. And because nothing's there, we don't have a name for it. But the reality is we should have a name for it because that's where people should be spending their time, between that passage and the question, and between the question and the answers.
0: Yeah, there's like two stopping points. Mm -hmm. What do they call the intermissions in hockey? Hockey has three periods.
1: Oh, you're asking the wrong guy. Yeah.
0: No, somebody needs to email. Well, we can Google it, but help at uh dot You could tell us what they call the intermissions in in between the periods in hockey. Yeah, but yeah, I mean, there is so hockey a, has three
1: periods. Mm-hmm. Huh.
0: There there is a break between the argument and the question. What do we do in that first break?
1: We evaluate the passage, which is usually an argument.
0: Right. Was there an argument there? is it bullshit or is it valid? If it's bullshit, why is it bullshit? Yeah. Okay. And then we read the question. Mm-hmm. Then what do we do on that second break between the an uh, question? Okay. Yeah. yeah. And how how do, we, so what's, what kind of things are we thinking about there?
1: Well, we're question just, types for one thing, right? Question types. And, and, but even if you don't know them, if you read the question and you're like, okay, well, how would I answer this loosely? You're off. To a good start. I do think everybody needs to have like a two-second thought, though,
0: about the question type. You yeah. know, like this yeah. turned out to be a role question. Mm-hmm. Um, role questions. What do we know about role questions? Well, they're evidence-based. They're mm-hmm. top-down. Mm-hmm. The correct answer has to be fully justified by what we read. Yep. Nothing extra. Yep. Nothing different. Yep. Um, the wrong answers are going to tend to have different and extra shit in them. Mm-hmm. So we got to be on guard for anything extra, anything different. Those are going to be wrong. Yeah. And specifically for a role question, I do that thing of like, well, was that the conclusion? Are they asking us about yeah. the main conclusion? Yeah. If not, what was the main conclusion? Yeah. Does this thing support the main conclusion? Okay, go. Like all that flashes through my head in five seconds, probably. Yeah. But make sure, if we make sure we take those breaks in between the three periods,
1: mm-hmm.
0: I think that third period goes much more smoothly for us.
1: So maybe, what if we call it the "own it" break and the "predict it" break? So after own it the, and predict it. You have to own that. Fucking <laughs> That's like passage. Ron Popeil.
0: Wait, was it Ron Popeil? "Set it and forget it." Yeah, oh, you just set it and forget, forget it. it. <laughs> I think that was for the Showtime rotisserie cooker. If I'm oh, not mistaken. Okay.
1: Wow. Yeah. So own it and predict it. <laughs> <laughs> Beautiful. Cool, uh,
0: man. I think we could probably wrap it up there, huh? Yeah. Sweet. We're on Facebook, Instagram, YouTube. Uh, we are at thinking LSAT and at LSAT demon. Um, check us out on YouTube and subscribe. Uh, we really need to get more, uh, at LSAT demon followers on YouTube or subscribers on YouTube. We're giving away, by the way, a ton of free shit. We just put a whole class up, Ben, mm. a whole two hour LSAT class uh taught by me uh just the other day I think it went really well. It's a great example of what we do in the LSAT Demon live classes. Yeah please go to our YouTube page at LSAT Demon uh and uh watch my watch that class. I mean it's a full on you know like block out some time you know yeah get a babysitter for your kid <laughs> turn off your phone and um shut your cat into another room And do the free trial of LSAT Demon. Um, You can click along with the questions. So you can actually see the agenda for the class. You can click on the questions. You can attempt them on your own. yeah. And then you can watch our explanations and my discussion with the class. That's all on our YouTube page for free. We're we're trying to give away as much as we possibly can to help people as much as we can. That's all on our YouTube page. You can follow me on Twitter, at Infox. Again, leave us a review on iTunes. um, Tell a friend help spread the word about the show. Email help at thinkinglsat.com. If you want to get any uh, items onto our agenda, Uh, email help at lsatdemon.com. If you have any questions about the LSAT demon, that was episode 273 of the Thinking LSAT podcast. Thanks all y'all for listening. Nice knowing you don't pay for law school.